Hi, and welcome to Communicating Climate Change, a podcast dedicated to helping you do exactly that. I'm Dickon, and I'll be your host as we dig deep into the best practices and the worst offences, always looking for ways to help you and me improve our abilities to engage, empower, and ultimately activate audiences on climate-related issues. This episode features a conversation with Melis Figanmesche, campaign lead at IFRC, the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent. It was recorded in June 2023. Melis works on the campaigns team at IFRC and focuses on climate communications. She's tasked with bringing together 191 Red Cross and Red Crescent societies and 14 million volunteers around the world to campaign together. In this role, she's launched an award-winning campaign, Climate Changed Me, together with Greta Thunberg, and continues to find compelling ways to raise the alarm on the climate crisis through storytelling. Amongst other things, Melis and I discussed how stories can help audiences relate to the ways that climate change is impacting the lives of others, the importance of cutting out the jargon and communicating with accessible language, and some practical tips for running successful campaigns at scale. So, let's get on with it. This is Communicating Climate Change with Melis Figenmesche. We'll start with a nice big broad one that I like to ask everybody, and that's from your perspective, how can communication help mitigate the worst effect of climate change in the first place? From an IFRC perspective, uh, we're communicating to sort of simplify what it means when we say the climate crisis. It's, it's such a massive issue. Through communicating, we're making these topics relatable, understandable, and we're also addressing some of the solutions. Could you tell us a little bit about your role and the work that you tend to be involved in? Um, So I myself have been the climate communications focal point at IFRC for the past four years now. And the bulk of my work has been around launching two climate campaigns um, and supporting our efforts at COP each year, um, the UN Climate Conference. So as the largest humanitarian organization, we have a really unique voice. Um, We're vocal about how people are being impacted now and how they will be in the future if we don't adapt. A bulk of our voice is about adaptation, but we 100% understand that we cannot separate the mitigation and the adaptation conversation. We know that if we don't mitigate now, some of the efforts to actually prepare and adapt communities will not be enough. Could you describe the Climate Changed Me campaign and explain what the impetus was for using personal stories to communicate the impacts of climate change? So it's interesting because Climate Change Me was born out of trial and error. The first attempt at a um, campaign uh, was less successful. It took us some time to understand our voice um, in the climate conversation and where we actually needed to advocate. So we tried focusing on calls to action to the general public on how they could mitigate their own footprint, like... um, use a bike (laughs) Um, and things like that. But what's really interesting is that like we knew that wasn't the story that needed to be told. So a bit of a background again on IFRC is that, so we have 14 million volunteers. IFRC is largely a volunteer network and they risk their lives daily to rescue people from disasters and then help them recover from those disasters. So we took a step back and understood that we sort of owed it to our volunteers and staff around the world whose work is getting harder and harder because of the climate crisis. And as the impacts become stronger and more frequent, they're they're being called out more often to support. So people are really at the heart of what we do, not only people that are being impacted, but 
internally as well, our staff and volunteers. And in general, like we were founded um, as an organization to prevent and alleviate human suffering. And because now we think that the climate crisis is the number one threat facing humanity, it's become now our organization's number one priority, which is protecting people from the impacts of the climate crisis. So we decided to tell people stories mainly to help the audience relate, the external audience relate to how other people are being impacted right now. So climate has forced people to move homes, to lose jobs. These are all human experiences that we might have experienced before, but not necessarily from the climate crisis. So we thought that enabling the external audience to hear these stories might help them better understand what people are going through right now. While you're talking about the fact that it was kind of born of some other experiments, can you share some of those just so that I get an understanding of like what didn't work? That's just as interesting to me as, as what it ended up being. We are known as the protectors of people. And when we started saying like, eat less meat, um, you know, go for a bite, which are all great, important things, right? But that the general public just didn't want to hear it from us. Maybe they wanted to hear it from WWF or maybe they wanted to hear it from Greenpeace, but they didn't want to hear it from us. So we had to really understand our voice better. And then that is when the the public resonated with our message. What have you learned from running that kind of campaign? What specifically about maybe the power of storytelling has kind of come to you as a result of it all? Everyone has that one story that sort of sticks in their head forever forever. For me right now, it's the story of a village chief in Madagascar. She is actually a Red Cross volunteer, and she uses different color flags to warn her community when an impending storm is coming. So, for example, just before Cyclone Freddy hit Madagascar, she raised her flag, meaning people should start preparing and evacuating, and she saved lives in her community. The main point here is that people remember stories. They don't remember facts. We really wanted something that would resonate and and stick in people's minds. And stories really were the answer for that. One of the things that I noted from the campaign is the breadth of types of people telling these stories. And, And I guess all of the psychology behind believing or finding more credibility in people like you. It's so easy to come in and if you need to hear one of these stories from someone who is like you, then you can find that. And I think that's a really powerful thing. For sure. That was 100% intentional. But also at the same time, we're not focusing only on Pacific Islands. We're also focusing on like heat waves and also flooding in Germany, you know, so making sure that it was a wide range of different disasters. How did you identify and select stories to share? And what kinds of uh, criteria did you use to determine uh, which stories might be the most impactful? huge benefit from IFRC is that we have offices in nearly every country in the world. So we really look to our country offices for this in supporting us in being the eyes and ears on the ground. In terms of criteria for being most impactful, that goes back to what we were just talking about, ensuring that there's a a diverse range of stories um, so that they could be relatable to whomever comes to the site to hear a story. I realized that I didn't actually ask how the campaign became kind of connected to Greta Thunberg, actually. Maybe you could give a little uh, background there. I think that would be interesting. Maybe some of my listeners can also use that to sort of think how they might get connected with local influencers or or other people of influence. 
I mean, to be honest, it was a Twitter DM. (laughs) Um, She actually, her, she has a foundation and her foundation recently gave to one of our programs in Africa. And I saw that as like the perfect opportunity to pitch her. And immediately, like she followed our Africa region office on Twitter. And I immediately sent her a DM and say, hey, we're launching a campaign. Would you mind? I would not shy away from the power of a Twitter DM. I use it all the time for pitching people. And it's super useful. For example, at the big COP conferences, if I want to get journalist coverage, I will 100% search all the journalists that are at COP and send them DMs and say, hey, we're here, we are, we're talking about this, please. Um, if you need any a voice on X, Y, and Z, we're here. <laughs> so the power of the Twitter DM. What are the benefits, but also the challenges of harnessing user-generated content for campaigns about the impacts of climate change? So there are a lot of benefits. Um, They're not highly produced. They don't use climate jargon. (laughs) Um, You get a wide range of voices and perspectives. We actually do a lot of UGC campaigns where we give simple instructions to our network And the content that comes back is like really impressive. We give very little direction and say, take a video of yourself doing this. And the content is just phenomenal. I will say the challenge would then be, um, we had to be careful not to identify just anything as climate related. We actually work really closely with our climate center based in The Hague, and they house climate scientists that help us make climate attributions for certain weather events. So getting a little nerdy, (laughs) but essentially um, every piece of content that would come back would have to be vetted by the climate scientists for them to say like, okay, this is actually climate related, or this is just environmental, for example. Um, So The challenge in that was that it really reduced the amount of content we were able to use. So, yeah, I think that would be the main challenge that we we came across. How do you measure the impact of communications efforts and campaigns like this at IFRC? Um, Have you seen any clear signs that the campaign has inspired sort of secondhand action, tertiary action, or mobilized resources around this issue? So I will start by saying... A majority of IFRC's campaigns are awareness-based. There's not a very clear call to action because we are so global. Um, We tend to launch global campaigns where we allow our country offices to then localize and they will create their own call to action. So with that being said, um, the number one way we measure our effectiveness of campaigns is through mentions of IFRC, Red Cross, and climate. But also a huge win for us, in particular for this, would be an increase in conversation around the humanitarian work in climate. So maybe how climate is forcing people to move or how climate is finding new jobs. So it's a simple query around um, on mentions and how that has been increasing. So I can't be sure how much was actually driven by IFRC or the latest IPCC report in February that was talking about how people are being impacted. But the conversation on humanitarian impacts and climate is definitely inclining. Um, So again, can't be sure 
who it's from, but we see it as a win no matter what. I always come at it with this kind of digital marketing methodology hat, which is measure everything, feedback in in real time. So it's this constant kind of iteration machine. But that doesn't work on the ground when you're doing other types of campaigns. Like it might be waving a flag to let people know that there's a disaster on the way. How do you measure the effectiveness of that? Well, it doesn't fit into my my kind of schema. So I'm I'm also trying to investigate these things. I just literally this morning talked to a, a disaster comms academic in the Philippines, and he was talking about sort of similar context as this this uh, lady that you mentioned the with the flags, where he said that one of the issues that they face with uh, typhoons coming through the Philippines is that a lot of the indigenous communities are super isolated, don't read, don't necessarily understand the common symbols. So the government does all this top-down outreach that's like huge signs and big warnings, and they're just like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's one of our main key messages is that the warning actually has to reach those that are most vulnerable, those that are being, that are, will be most impacted. And then there actually has to be action. <laughs> so if, if they, if they can't read and they can't write, like there has to be other ways that they're, that they can understand that the warning is coming. So that's a really great point. Yeah, and then also who they trust to give that warning. Exactly. Which is a huge part of our work. Maybe it was the chief of the village waving the flags. They definitely trust her. Exactly. They trust her a lot more than they trust uh, someone they don't know who lives in a mega city. And that's why we see this as huge priority for us, because it's a niche. It's, it's something that we, we can do and we know we're good at doing because we're trusted members of the community. What role do personal stories and those human experiences play in shifting public perceptions of climate change and inspiring action? This goes back a bit to relating to these stories. But now that we've shifted to showcasing um, these solutions, we're hoping that these stories do two things. One, they help people realize that some of the ways that we can protect people now and adapt now are actually quite simple like the flags, but also maybe people that are listening may say, hey, that's definitely something I can implement in my own community as well. So simplifying it, making, making people see that what we're doing is actually quite simple and implementing it themselves in their own community. Are there any other examples, particularly notable ones that are kind of interesting in terms of solutions? I mean, some other ways that uh, people will do early warning is... Um, megaphones. They'll just walk around communities on megaphones and say, hey, everybody, there's a storm coming. Put your sandbags up. I mean, the actions are quite simple at the end of the day. Um, it's just making sure that, that that person in the remote village in the Philippines is actually getting the message. The megaphone and the flag, they couldn't be simpler, but they might be the last mile that actually does the life-saving. That's 100% why we need these local actors. It needs to be a bottom-up, like you were saying, it's top-down. It needs to be bottom-up because you need to understand your community. Um, you need to understand how they communicate. How do they get information? Maybe it's radio. 
So radio is something that's used quite a lot. Pakistan, for example, it's one of the number one ways that you can communicate really fast information to a wide group of people. Um, so it's super important that the people that are making this call to action are embedded in communities and understand the nuances of their community. How can communicators best leverage these kind of stories that they might find along the way to create momentum and drive change? I mean, obviously, you've shown one way of doing it, which is, I guess, making those stories more accessible. But are there any other ways that those stories could be used to the best effect? We create all of our content in Canva. And Canva allows for everybody to edit and make it their own and make sure that it's going to speak to the people they're communicating to. So if it's an image, they can easily translate it. They can easily change the colors. They can easily change the image that's, that, that's in it um, because maybe it doesn't work culturally. So I think ensuring that you're disseminating um, to you're disseminating your information to local actors in the right way, in the right language, in the right culturally sensitive ways. Um, um, I think that's most important to make sure that you're not just one message for everybody, whoever your audience. What an incredible way to allow immediate, easy, low barrier to action personalization of content. That's a really, really good takeaway for this one. I love it. Thank you. How do you balance the need for impactful visuals with the need for accuracy and sensitivity in representing the experience of those impacted by climate change? This is a huge part of our work. We say everybody deserves dignity in person and online. We actually don't use any photos or videos that show people when they're in like a negative moment of their lives. We tend to not show people's faces when they're experiencing hardship, especially children. So as I mentioned, we're focusing more on how individuals are becoming champions in their communities, like that village chief. So we're focusing on the positive, which helps us be more accurate, but also sensitive in, in showcasing people. And then I guess that's also one of the benefits of user-generated content is that they've chosen to submit it, for instance, in the in the case of the climate change meeting. So they've actually been, they have total agency of how they are presented. Totally. Yeah. What's the single most important aspect of communication that we should be paying attention to in our communications endeavors? So I hope everyone is listening. <laughs> everyone benefits from accessible language. There's so much jargon out there in the climate communications world. And not only are the solutions easy, but the way we describe it can be simple as well. It helps people relate better to what we're actually trying to communicate, but it also helps people think of it as this less massive being, you know? I mean, I, I equate it to the hunger crisis, actually. It's this huge problem, and how do we actually tackle it? By using simple terms and showing the simple solutions, we can actually help our users feel less like they just want to scroll past it. It's something that they're less like, oh, that's really interesting. And I can understand it. And it seems pretty straightforward. And you've told me what to do. Yeah, exactly. 
the flip side of that is what's the biggest mistake that you see communicators make when attempting to engage the public on climate change issues? I think the doom and gloom. What is the what is the public's reaction to that? There's always got to be some token of hope or some part of, there's some solution, something that we can that we can grab onto. So for me it's the doom and gloom. So then the last one is the cheesy one, but I think it's necessary in a in a chat about this campaign, which is how has climate changed you? It's interesting I never actually tried to answer that question myself. Um, but I will say that I've been in communications for 20 years now. I actually don't see it without the climate element in the foreseeable future. I feel like this is this is something that I can contribute to the climate crisis. Um, so now it's just become part of my job. I had such a great time talking shop with Malice. I hope you'll agree that there was a lot for us to learn. But what in particular stuck with you from this conversation? What will you take from it and apply to your own work? For me, it's the commitment to preserving the dignity of those whose stories are being told. So often it seems we're zooming in on an emergency, a disaster, or some other tragic outcome resulting from the effects of climate change. And more often than not, that means we're talking about victims. But as we've heard in previous episodes, as well as in this one, it's heroes, role models, and actions that audiences can emulate that play a major role in catalyzing climate action. So that's what I'll keep focusing on. Next, there's the importance of finding your voice, not only in terms of what you want to say, what action you want to encourage, but also in terms of what your audience expects or wants you to weigh in on, and what they don't. Finally, it goes without saying that I'll be reflecting on the power of a good DM. But how about you? What did you hear? What will you be taking with you into your communications endeavors? Thanks to Melis Vegan Mesche for sharing her time and experience with the show. It was awesome. You can find links to a few relevant resources in the show notes. Thanks also to you for listening to Communicating Climate Change. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts or by subscribing so you never miss out. You can find Communicating Climate Change on LinkedIn too. And if you think the series would be of interest to friends or colleagues, why not point them in the right direction? Remember, each and every episode attempts to add to our toolkits to help us develop the skills and inspiration that we'll need for this essential task. So be sure to stay tuned for more. For anything else, just head over to communicatingclimatechange.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>